Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig. And I know we're not there exactly just yet on um, D-Day, Valentine's Day, but we're right past due to getting started to figure out yeah, what you, we're yeah, going to offer. We have yeah, to get wanna, prepared. Yeah, you want to figure out what to do. If you haven't figured it out already, you've it, got you've got a better chance than last year when we didn't remind you until the day before. <laughs> yeah, so, but of course, we're starting out with the one absolute essential, bubbly, <laughs> and we're going to listen to Greg Duty. Well, well I, I figured out the name for the whole program. It's called Bubble and Bubbles and Sweets. Oh, okay, Bubble and Sweets and, instead of uh, Bubble and Squeak. And, and Greg, what Greg Duty doesn't know about bubbles, isn't worth knowing. I can t- I can tell you. Yeah, and. Uh, he shipped us enough to make sure that we were practiced along the way. <laughs> so, so we have the one we're going to drink on the 14th. We have that squirreled away somewhere where no one will find it. And in the meantime, we did check out some of the other stuff. So anyway, here, here's Greg with the story of uh, vineyard brands and particularly sparkling wine. Greg Duty. Vineyard Brands is your company. You distribute uh, fine wines. Um, and at this time of year, with the, the heart day coming, Valentine's Day, uh, we think of bubbly, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. And why is that? Well, we're actually reminded of it because somebody from Vineyard Brands got in touch with us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> and said, hey, you dopes, <laughs> it's Valentine's Day coming up. You better do something about it. Right. <laughs> so here we are. So here we are. Yeah, I always think of bubbly around any sort of holiday or any sort of festive or celebratory occasion because it's just it just adds a little bit of, you know, a little bit of that je ne sais quoi to sort of any celebration. Yeah, and it, interestingly enough, and uh, I'm going to ask you the, re- the reason for this particular one, what, the samples that you sent were loaded with pink. Yes. Yeah. Is, is there any special reason for that? Um, I, th- I think really because, so we, you know, we import... Chateau Miraval uh, Rosé, which is the wine that really sort of got um, the rosé craze in high gear in the United States. And so I think just people are rediscovering how good rosé wine could be. So there are a lot of producers that um, have either, you know, started making more rosé or just continued making the rosé that they've always made, but it's just becoming more and more popular in the United States and really across the world. Now, what is that one rabbit and, and we have in Australia? And they're doing the sparkling version. I'm sorry? And they're doing a sparkling version of rosé. Correct. La Vieille Ferme also has just introduced both a sparkling rosé and a sparkling white wine, right, with a, with a new method of... Yeah, I want to know about that. Yeah, but let, let's, come, let's, do, let's do the one thing you were going to do, and then we'll come back to it. Because Anne, Anne was reminding me that one of, one of the great favorites of the wine business down under in Australia is, is a very different sparkling wine called Sparkling Shiraz. Oh right, which which is really startling, very very, <laughs> dra- very dramatic to look at, and ra- rather dramatic to taste as well. Yes, right. So and uh, in a good way, did you like it? Oh yeah, I yeah. loved it. Yeah. yeah, it's very 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 popular for weddings. Yeah, yeah, down there, absolutely. But but anyway, back back to uh, back to the variety of things that you brought for our examination. You have wines called La Vieille Ferme Reserve. 
Right, so it's Levier Ferrum. So they make um, they make uh, three still wines, so a red, white, and a rosé. And they also make two sparkling wines that are in the reserve range that are a, re- a rosé sparkling and a white sparkling. And, but, they, but they're made by the Perrin family, which owns Chateau de Bocastel. Correct, they are. So is this a new venture for them? It is. So they've been doing Levier Ferrum since the 70s, so right around the time that Vineyard Brands was founded, we started representing Levier Ferme in the United States. So, yeah, um, Levier Ferme has been around in France since the early 70s and, also, and has also been in the United States since the early 70s. No, it's so not they've s- always done the white, the red, and the rosé. And, by the way, the Levier Ferme rosé is now the best-selling um, rosé in the country. Is it really? So, yeah. No, it, rosé, I, yes. Now, here's the interesting so, thing. It's not really, a sh- it's not really champagne, right? Um, so, yeah, the sparkling, no, no, the, the, so anything to be, except with three small exceptions, anything that's called champagne in the United States has to be made in the champagne region of France. So, um, Levier's Ferme Sparkling, neither of the wines is made in champagne, so it's, um, so it's simply sparkling, it's sparkling wine. Now, the, the, uh, suggestion is the, the champenoise, uh, technique is, Necessary for to make champagne, even in the region, right? Uh, yes, you have to make it in the traditional method in Champagne to call it cham- Champenoise, or yeah, Method Champenoise as well. Yeah. And so, what so do that's the parents do different? They do it differently. Yeah. So in Champagne, the way they do it is the second fermentation is done in the bottle. So they ferment the wine, um, and then they add a dosage to it, and then it ferments again in in the bottle. So that's how they capture the new, you know, there's more CO2 produced in the second fermentation, so that's actually captured in the bottle. Um, but for Levier Ferme Sparkling, what they decided to do was, it's a brand new method, and it's called, I'll butcher this name because it's French, but uh, Méthode um, Contemporaine, which is the contemporary method. So what they do is they capture the CO2 from the fermentation of the wine, from the initial fermentation of the wine, and then they um, capture it, they store it, they clean it to make sure you know there aren't any odd flavors associated with it or anything. And then in the bottling process, they have this uh, machine um, that puts the CO2 in the bottle during during um, during bottling. So what it does is it makes these very very fine little bubbles um, that are just delicious. So it's much, um, yeah. Now let, let's pick up another two in a, in, in a sparkling wine category that's not champagne as well, mm-hmm. because uh, am, among your offerings is Marque de Caceres. I'm going to butcher that, but they, yeah. but they <laughs> make they make a sparkling wine in in Spain called Cava. Correct. And, and then of course there's the sparkling wine of Italy, which is Prosecco, but there's another sparkling wine. In France, called Cremant, which we really, which really, really love. It's very different, and it was on the list that you were recommending for the holiday. So, tell us a little bit about Amaro Cremant de Loire de Quateron. Okay, so <laughs> do that one again. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. that's, a, that's a mouthful, right? No, so we have we actually have two different Cremant producers. So one is in Burgundy, and they do the Cremant de Bourgogne. And then we have one in the Loire that does Cremant de Loire, as you were saying. So um, both of them, the, our Loire producer just does two different sparkling um, white wines that are uh, both delicious, obviously. 
Um, and then we have our uh, burgundy producer, one of our burgundy producers is Cremant de Bourgogne, that one is a rosé and one is a white. Right. So, so, but but the di- the distinction in the Cremant is the grapes as well as the method. So it's not really the method that's different. It's really just, um, and it's not necessarily the grapes. Although in the Loire they do use Chenin Blanc and Cabernet Franc, which are you know in uh, you know grapes more associated with the Loire. So in Champagne um, they use a combination of Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier or Meunier. Um, and so in different areas, so like in, um, in Burgundy, they use Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Eligote, which are their three grapes, so they just make a sparkling wine. Yeah, and then in the Loire, they use Chenin Blanc, Chardonnay, and, uh, Cabernet Franc to do their sparkling wine. Now, I have a question here. You, you sent us the suggestion of, um, of these, these sparklers and mm-hmm. you provided a range because one of the things people first of all people don't know what to, to buy in the champagne line generally um, and secondly they think of it all as expensive but you presented a whole range of options and prices uh, I'm not sure everybody's going to remember the names do you have that outlined on your website um, we don't but I can send it to you for sure Okay, well, we, we, can, we, can, we can put it up on our We'll put it up on our website so the people have somewhere to go because I'm, we're butchering our French. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and that's perfect. No, you're right because everyone thinks that, oh, champagne is too expensive. So not only is champagne not as expensive as everyone thinks, but if it is outside of your budget, there are sparkling wines that are, that are just delicious that, you know, are much more, um, I guess, much more budget-friendly. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Le and Firm Sparkling... You know, our suggested retail price, you can probably get it cheaper, but it's around fifteen ninety nine. And then, you know, our champagnes obviously go. We do, you know, we have a, a more collectible champagne that's uh, much, much more expensive. So we, and we, they run really with the Cremants and the sparkling wine from, that we have from New Zealand, the sparkling wine that we have from South Africa, all that. You can, you can really run the range of what's available in sparkling wines. Okay. And it just all depends on what you're looking so for. So you have all those on your website, too. That's good. We have them all on, and I can send you a list. I can send you um, what we have and then what the suggested retail price is. Again, we don't know, you know, what's what available. What is the main difference in, in, like, the flavor profile between that one bottle you sent that's so good? Uh, Which should we send? Was that the Levier Firm Sparkling? The Champagne no. de la Motte Brut Rosé. Ah, okay. Oh, that's delicious. You, spo- um, you, spo- you spoiled us wrong. We, we go, we go, we, we're not going to open, we open some of the others, but we're not going to open that one until Valentine's Day. <laughs> oh, good for you. That's, that's one of my favorite sparkling, especially sparkling rosés for sure. What makes it so special? Um, so it's made by Delamotte, which is one of the best producers in Champagne. Um, and it's also a rosé, and so Delamotte is mostly a Chardonnay, so a Blanc de Blanc producer, so it's white wines from white grapes in Champagne, but they do do a very small, um, they do a small production of rosé, um, so they, um, and so I just think they bring their um, Blanc de Blanc production history to the rosé, and I just think they make a spectacular rosé. Now, are they integrated? Are they a great producer as well as a as well as a winemaker? 
Oh, for sure, yes. Okay, now, now the, the reason I asked the question is oh, I wondered, because we, 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 get, we get a lot of interest in champagne, and a lot of people think what's called grower champagne is somewhat more cost-effective. But that's, but that's uh, champagne made from grapes grown by somebody else. So yeah, so they're the so they're either the grower champagne makers or they're the you know the, I guess the houses that make champagne and right. so the growers. But so a lot of the um, you know a lot of the big estates actually grow their grapes as well. They just don't grow all of the grapes that go into all of their wines. So right. Um, right. So I, I'm and I'm not sure they're actually more cost effective. I think they're just a little bit more niche. You know, market for you know to have a grower champagne versus uh, versus a house. Well, you know, I mean, when I'm in Spain, I drink Cava. When I'm in Italy, I drink Prosecco. Um, I'm not sure that I really do British champagne very well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, they no, do it now. They no, do it. No, that's not fair. There are, there are, there are, some there good are, ones. There are two or three half, halfway decent British champagne, sparkling wines, I guess they have to be called. Yeah. But, but, but we've heard that the Burgundians are buying land in the south of England, like crazy. Yeah, because with with climate change these days, you yeah. can actually get the grapes ripe in in this particularly south of the southern part of England. Yeah, so I mean, they make some. I've had some delicious sparkling wines from England. You have? Okay, good, good, good. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> you know, there's literally they, they they it's one of the things that winemakers like to do is to make a sparkling wine. I think it's a ch- sort of a challenge for them, and they just like to have you know their own wine, just like we like to have. A sparkling wine for a celebration. They like to have it too, so they like to have one of their the own. Prestige, yeah. yeah, and so everyone plays with different, you know, grape varietals, different methods for making the the sparkling wine. So, and and so you, you really can't characterize anyone, even just like you can't cha- can't characterize champagne as you know all champagne tastes like X or Y because they don't. Right. It just matters on. It depends on what grapes you're doing, what you know, wine making technique you're using. What you know, how you're aging them, how long you're aging them on the leaves, and all that. So, yeah. So it just there's just a range out there. And, and I'm with you. I when I'm in Spain, I love to drink cava. When I'm yeah. in, you know, South America, or South America, I love to have a nice um, sparkling rosé made from Malbec. You know, it's uh-huh. just delicious. That sounds, sounds great. great. That sounds wonderful. That'd be quite a lot like sparkling the sparkling Shiraz we talked yeah. about earlier. One hundred percent. Yeah. So I mean, really, sparkling wine. Yeah. Everyone thinks that. You know, it has to be made out of a super light-colored grape or something like that, but it doesn't. You know, I mean, sparkling Malbec is delicious, but just like sparkling, you know, Cabernet Franc is delicious. Yeah, there you so. go. So. See, I think that your approach um, of giving us a, a wide range of options with a pl- flavor, flavor profiles, uh, prices, uh, is very important. Um, there is also, I, my trainer, actually, Adore champagne or bubble oh, nice. or whatever we talked about. But she informed me today, which I never knew from like 25 years I've done there, is that she will not drink brute. Really? <laughs> right. Which to Why me is not, she has the sweet tooth and that's all she likes. Oh, so there you go. She but likes sec, she likes sec, right? She likes demi sec. Yeah. yeah, something like that. You know what, but who are we? You know, it's, it's people's palates. That's, that's you know? why I said you did this exactly. smart thing sending out this list of options. That, uh, right. No, no, before we, before we go, one, one area I want to Going before before we close, because I'm sure you're a positive fount of information, but like like everyone else on the on the menu is is in search of 
the absolutely fabulous wine that's priced between fifteen and twenty-five dollars a bottle. <laughs> and what, what, where can most recently can we go to find those wonderful bargains that will taste so good going down because the, the price is right? So, and you're talking sparkling? No, any, any kind. Any kind's okay. We're off, we're off sparkling it wine if you'd like to be. So I would say, I mean, the VFM sparkling should be available just about everywhere. Um, and it's, you know, in that, it's in that sweet spot of, you know, 12.99 to 15.99. And it's just, it's really sort of perfect for every occasion. Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm no, but, this but, but, where... but hold on a bit. But out, outside the sparkling wine area, I mean, what, what's, what are the countries and regions that, that you're looking at to add to your portfolio, if you like? Uh, so I think we, you know, we're still looking to fill out some of our Italian portfolio. Um, and, um, really we're not looking for any other regions at the moment because our portfolio is pretty full. But not to say that if something didn't come along that we wouldn't consider it. So, but we're not, we pretty much have the areas that we work in covered like we want to. And, um, so there's nothing that we have a burning desire to pick up at the moment. Because we, you know, we represent, you know, Europe, so we Germany and France and Italy yeah. and Spain and Portugal, and then we do South Africa and um, South America, Australia, New Zealand. So, you know, we pretty much we don't cover every obviously wine region, but we do cover the major wine growing region. But, but and you, but and you, the United States part of your list is very is very short, but it has a very fine wine in it called Tablas Creek. <laughs> right, exactly. So our founder, the man who founded Vineyard Brands, when he sold the company to the employees, he went and started Tablas Creek. Oh, um, I see. So, okay. Yeah, so that's and so so since we're an importer, um, it's kind of weird that we're actually importing a wine that's made in the U.S. <laughs> but we but we do it to put you know we do it so that they can be in our distribution system. And so we're not at all opposed to um, domestic wines at, at all. You know, we'd love to. And we have in the past. We've done some. Um, we've um, had great success with some domestic wineries. It's just that um, at the moment, yeah, we're just representing Tablas Creek. Yeah, you have you have um, uh, Iron Horse Vineyards. It's a champagne thing, and we did a vertical tasting at the at the uh, vineyard there. It was fabulous. Did you do Iron Horse? Do you do Iron Horse? We do not, but but uh, but I've had Iron Horse in the past, and I loved it. Yeah, we yeah. we 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 had lunch with Barry and. Uh, and what's, what's his wife's name? Audrey. 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 Barry and Audrey. And they, oh, they, nice. they make ten cuvées. We we sampled all of them. <laughs> nice, nice. And but their daughter, uh, Joy Sterling, uh, was the one who did the vertical tasting for us. We were out sitting in the middle of the vineyard, and it was really, it was really good that we asked her not come with all the siblings and everything. She was the one running the vineyard, and she said, "I wasn't fast enough to say no." <laughs> But um, yeah, no, I've I started to say that I'm one of those people that do not believe that if you spend more money, you're going to get better taste in wine in general. Um, I, I, I think that's right. Yeah, but I do believe that um, we had what was the Italian wine? 
that I said I could drink every night. Sagrantino. Sagrantino. Uh, 100% Sagrantino. And, and it was supposedly retailing. I didn't know this when I decided I could drink it every night for $400 a bottle. There you go. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you could tell the difference in, in the price. I mean, the, the, the quality of the wine and the taste, um, flavor profile of it. I bought, I bought you one more bottle in the years that followed. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. You, look, some of the best wines on the planet are very expensive, but just because you're paying a lot doesn't mean you're getting the best wine because there's some yeah. great, great values out there, you know, not expensive wines that are just absolutely delicious. Yeah, so I was saying that, but I was saying that there is, a, a, like, I think, no matter how many different regions produce champagne, the best champagnes in the world still come from champagne, which may change with climate change because they're having some issues with that. Right. Yes, exactly. well, they're, they're having the opposite issue. Yeah. So, um, but anyhow, that's all I was saying is that I think that uh, um, I, I like your approach of having something for everybody here. There is a, a big variance in, in what people are looking for. Oh, thank you. Now you, now you have one, one minute left to say anything you'd like about wine, <laughs> <laughs> Include, including be sure to get some for Valentine's Day. Yeah, absolutely. Be sure to go out and get some um, sparkling rosé for Valentine's Day. Right. Anything else you want to say about the company? Um, I'm not really sure. No, but I think you're right when you said, you know, I think we're, we try to curate our portfolio so that there's something in there that speaks that can speak to every consumer. Um, but we make sure that, you know, because our name's on and because the employees own the company, and we only work with fam- we only work with family-owned wineries around the world. Oh, that's good. You know, we, yeah, yeah, so we actually, you know, we taste every wine. We don't import things that we won't drink ourselves. So um, it's sort of a, it's our stamp of approval on the wine. If you pick some, anything in our portfolio, it's going to be good. So. Well, Greg Duty, you've, you've been so informative, and I feel... Very strongly uh, that I would love to continue to support your your wines. Oh, thank you so much. It's yes. been great talking to you guys. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, happy Valentine's. And you as well. And, bo- and bottoms up, as we say. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Greg, thank you so much. Okay, take care. Okay, listeners, so we know the answer to what you're supposed to get for Valentine's Day, depending on whether you're the giver or the receiver. It should be pink and it should be sparkly and we thank you for all the information Greg that you provided and we'll be back after a short break Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station www.aspstation.net Welcome back. Um, I know that the general rule is that you give chocolates for Valentine's Day, but I happen to fall in love with another sweet. Yeah, we sweet. we found something a whole lot better, right? Uh, yes, I, it's, I'm still, I'm we're going to be talking to Darius Parsi, and he has a new company called Pajama Sweets. I love the name, and we gorged ourselves on his product, which is Persian pistachio brittle. Not really brittle, but let's do him explain. 
Irish Parsi. Um, I, I, I think that your main characteristic is that you are an entrepreneur by nature uh, and also Persian by, um, ge- what would you call it, genetically. <laughs> <laughs> my background, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, um, I'm Iranian-American. And my parents immigrated from Iran to the United States in 65, and I was born and raised here in the U.S. Right. And now, let's start with... Uh, why the name Pajama Sweets, the name of your company? Yeah, um, so I wanted a name that had a deep well of, image, of positive imagery and that would resonate uh, really well with our customers. And I thought with the word pajama, at least in the American market, one thinks of uh, feeling uh, comfy and cozy, you know, coming home from work, you know, get out of your work clothes, put on your comfy clothes, and just being yourself. But not only that, but your authentic self. I felt there's a sense of authenticity uh, that's sort of on a subconscious level there with the word pajama. And then I just go, you think of slumber parties, sleepovers. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, and just the fun times, those times as a kid, and also the nostalgia for those times. So I felt also nostalgia is a very strong emotion. So again, that's another thing I thought was a subconscious connection. And I just think it's uh, a fun word to pronounce, and it's a good-looking word with the three A's there that... Uh, good symmetry there. Yeah, it is good. Also, yeah. Also, it, it is a, it, it's originally a Persian word, so that connects with the Persian origins, origins of our sweets. And uh, I just think, you know, it, it's also a hint at a touch of uh, romance and sexiness, which I think is good for almost any product. So. Now, you said you started this company because uh, you couldn't, you looked around and you couldn't find any Persian sweets in the market. Is that true? Well, um, I found that there was a lot of uh, great flavors, a lot of great sweets um, in uh, the Persian cuisine, uh, but they just weren't mainstream in the American market. That you have to go to, um, you have to go to Persian grocery stores or uh, real specialty stores that really aren't found uh, anywhere else but in large cities. So I thought that um, this was something I think that all Americans, you know, growing up. Um, here and my friends, everyone down to the person loved this sweet. And so I thought, oh, this is something I think that be, it's a great Persian sweet and I think everybody will love it. Yeah, no, I mean, we've been talking around it, but I'm going to say exactly what it is. It's, first of all, it's absolutely delicious. Um, it's pistachio brittle, but uh, it, there, there's something else in there too, right? Yes, yeah, so, um, the, Persian, the, the, the name for it is Sohan. Or the full name is Sohan uh, al It's originally, uh, the, the claim is that it's originally from the uh, Iranian city of Qom. Um, but um, I used the, uh, the English word pistachio brittle because that's in the culinary literature. It's, it's called that. And I just didn't want to add in more barriers for the American market, for American consumers to, um, to be drawn to it. I didn't, you know, I didn't want a problem with pronunciation of a new word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the best way of describing it. It's really a combination of a crisp butter cookie uh, mixed in with toffee brittle and yes, crushed pistachios on top. Yeah, it's not. It's really not like a, at all like a peanut brittle that we're familiar with. Right. It's very hard and crunchy and sweet right. and your teeth. It's not like that at all. It's really more like a, leans much more towards a crisp butter cookie. It, it's delicious because I, I love toffee. Period. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But and I love pistachios. So what's not to like? And it, it, let's talk briefly about these tins. They are so gorgeous. 
Um, but they have to be pretty expensive to produce. Um, yeah, well, um, a key part of our of our brand identity is we wanted to uh, make really beautiful um, packaging. Um, the idea is that we wanted to make this as not only for self indulgence but also for gift giving occasions, really for all occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to make something that you know you feel proud to give to someone, something that's really unique. It's a really beautiful artwork. Um, so the innovation was not only in the suite, that this is a suite that's just not found in the mainstream American market, but also the packaging is, is completely new where um, you just don't see this. And really, I think in any category where all the, uh, it's a tin where all the uh, surfaces, the outside and inside, are beautifully designed. So it actually serves as a really nice keepsake. Now, there are two colors. And yeah. Is it boys and girls, pink and blue? Yeah. Yeah, kind of. I was. I knew that our customers would mostly be women because women are traditionally the principal uh, grocery shoppers and gift buyers for the household. So I wanted uh, packaging that would appeal uh, appeal to them. Um, but and so I, for the the small one, the half pound, uh, I made it really uh, feminine, pink, floral. And for the blue one, I was really looking for something more neutral. Uh, but even that's kind of more leaned more towards feminine. But yeah, it's sort of um, yeah, kind of male, female, but not really. It wasn't really meant that way. I was just really trying to um, appeal to as many potential customers as possible. Now, let's let's be honest. This is Anne and Peter being honest. A, 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 a fan will consume approximately two tins a week. <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> we, we did. We, we did. We, al- we already finished the second one. And Anne said she was disappointed because she realized when she opened the can that it was empty because I'd eat. Because yeah, I'd eat crumbs. You're ideal customers. You're the perfect customers. You love coffee and pistachios, and it, it's addictive. It's really that it, I was about to say, it really is addictive because I found yeah. myself not eating a whole lot at each sitting, but I always had to kind of take a bit off and, and eat yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We should put a warning label on there, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's something that's um, that it strikes a really nice, very sweet balance. It leaves a really nice finish on the palate with the cardamom and stuff yes. on there. Oh, is that what's in the cardamom? You, now you're going to tell me it's also healthy, right? <laughs> Actually, yeah, it's not that bad for a sweet. It's not that bad. Uh, a serving is about an eighth of a disc, uh, one of those uh, patties, those uh, cookies, and one serving has 70 calories, which is the amount of calories you find in a slice of bread. Um, that's not bad at all. Yeah, seven grams of carbs, four of them sugar. So as far as sweets go, I mean, a comparable thing, like a little, you know, a piece of chocolate or candy bar, uh, it's much more. So, um, and also the ingredients are, you know, there's not, no preservatives in there, there's no artificial dyes or colors or anything. So the ingredients, uh, four things that are in everything, uh, butter, flour, sugar, and egg, and then um, cardamom, saffron, wheat sprouts for that toffee texture, and, of course, pistachios. Well, um, now, let's say anyone can order these off your website, so you better give us the website. Sure. So we have an online store, um, at, which is at pajamasuites.com, T-A-J-A-M-A Suites, S-W-E-E-T-S dot com. And we also, not only the stores there, but also our backstory of how we uh, got started and what our uh, values are behind, um, uh, just give more information about our brand identity.
Now, now what, what's the future hold? I mean, we, we never asked you, I don't think, what, what, you, what you did in... in yeah, that's, I was, I had two, a, two a real, further questions. A, One is, what did he do before? What, what did your, you do What was your real job? Yeah, yeah, so before I, I, I had fun in life, I was an investment analyst and okay. uh, fund manager. Um, but I wanted, at a certain point, just felt like I wanted to do something that was more fun and creative and also hopefully lucrative. And I was just exploring. I, I studied a lot of biographies, business biographies, talked to a lot of people. Um, and um, a few entrepreneurs really inspired me. Uh, one of the, uh, first of all is my brother, Pat, who's a great entrepreneur himself. He's uh, founded and, and runs Billy Jealousy, which is the men's, which is uh, uh, the top men's grooming uh, uh, product line, uh, makes terrific products. And he was really inspiring to me. And was critical in starting this idea of using of uh, coming up with pistachio brittles as, as our first product, and um, so he got me started. He, you know, taught me the importance of how critically important um, creativity and originality is, even more than being perseverant and hard work, which of course are important and necessary. But um, originality is absolutely yeah, critical. Yeah, you've got to offer something that nobody else is offering, and I don't know if exactly. any have anything like this on the market. Exactly, and then you know he's also telling me the importance of brand identity. That uh, as I was studying this industry in the uh, sweets and snacks industry, I saw that I thought there was just uh, uh, there's a lot of work to be done there. That I could there's a lot of opportunity there, and just um, depth and development of, of brand identity. Um, so that now you undoubtedly have more products in mind, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we're going to do a smaller version of the pistachio brittle of the Sohan. Um, we're going to do a, a two-ounce version, maybe even smaller one as well. And then we have a lot of other Persian sweets that we and uh, also non-sweets, other stuff that we want to. Uh, we think that um, the American market would love. Um, so and, uh, uh, how far along are we? Are I mean, you have a single product. The differentiation or the colors of the tins uh, uh, correlated to uh, the weight and the quantity. Um, but how close are we to a future additional product? So uh, different products, I'm looking at uh, by the third quarter to have another product. Uh, probably be, I'm not quite sure at this point, we're looking at two or three different products. But um, actually probably the next thing was we'll keep with a brittle, but probably make it instead of pistachio toppings, um, slivered almonds uh, as the topping. Um, and we might do some variations on that. Uh, then it would probably do a um, a soft cookie. Um, so uh, in Persian, it's called kolucha. We'll uh-huh. probably do that. That comes in a, sort of like in the U.S. We know it as a kind of a fig newton, something like that. With oh, like yeah. a nice. yeah walnut paste in the middle, like, uh, the coconut paste in the middle, um, and then there's other um, great um, products we're looking at, like nochochi, um, which is like a, um, chick- a chickpea-based cookie. And uh, gas, which is a uh, pistachio nougat, um, and then we're also looking to expand into other, uh, so also like preservatives. There's, a, uh, there's great Persian preservatives and jellies, um, and then also we want to do um, teas, uh, coffee, yeah, even wine. And then I want to expand into uh, a larger line of kitchenware and home decor. Wow, you, know. also, <laughs> you have a lot yeah, of stuff lined up. <laughs> yeah, I, I have. I got a big vision for the. Uh, pajama suits brand. Yeah, I, think, so. I think William Sonoma and Sula Taba better watch out. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, well, they'll be, they could be customers. Yeah, we could well, They could be customers. There we go. Um, well, that's very nice of you to include them. I, I have, I have one uh, comment. Uh, I, I guess it's a critique. 
of these gorgeous tins um, is uh, I, I they, they don't stack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's one thing. So they're embossed. So there's like two levels of embossing: one millimeter and two millimeters of embossing uh-huh. on the lid. So uh, that's uh, although it doesn't stack on its own. If you put like um, a uh, a sheer sheet of paper, like one of those gift tissue papers, on top of it, then they stack uh, quite easily. Mm-hmm. So, but on itself, they <laughs> stack. And also, um, but also they do stack the way if you arrange them in, in groups. And you know when I'm in a, a market, outdoor market, or in, in, with a customer, uh, they stack very nicely. If you put them in a circle or on a line, they just stack them like a pyramid or something. Uh, they stack easily. But, yeah, one-on-one, like making a tower, uh, you're, they're slipping and sliding by the third time. The third, right. But you, uh, can always, you can always fix yeah. that by emptying them. Yeah, we can empty them. <laughs> That's right. Now, you know, the terrible thing is... I tell you, my ideal customer, so... They're, they're so beautiful, you don't want to throw them out. Um, yeah, that's the key thing. Yeah, we wanted uh, the the, the uh, tin to be uh, to sort of memorialize the occasion, so that you just you know. And I've come, many customers who come back and say, you know, I keep the tin. It reminds me of who gave it to me for what occasion. I got like, a Mother's right. Day or Valentine's, and they tell me they put the really good cosmetics, uh, knickknacks from the kitchen, from home, the office. Uh-huh. So, uh, um, you know. Well, I mean, I think the other thing we, we have to be fairly clear about is, uh, with all this attention to quality and packaging, uh, the, this is not cheap. Costs um, are, are not cheap. Yeah, I mean, the product itself it's very difficult. It's uh, really a, a craft. It's all handmade. Um, you see these cookies are all uh, shaped in different sizes. Um, it's all handmade. It's um, um, and. Uh, so yeah, we have saffron in there. Uh, there's cardamom. Saffron, um, wow, that's expensive yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah, it's expensive right there. Um, the the artwork uh, and the tins, because yeah, we, we uh, yeah. I mean, this not feedback. This not a criticism per se. I just it was a warning, that, you know, for people. I think that it's worth every penny of it, um, the cost. But you know, I just don't want people to think it's a cheap candy of some sort. <laughs> Yeah, no, right, exactly. This is really more of a, a premium or specialty treat. Um, so that pink tin that uh, we label at half a pound, it's actually more like 0.85 pounds um, on average. Uh, that retails for $20 on our site. And the blue one that uh, has four of the Sohan, uh, the, the special brittle uh, that we put, we said it was a pound. It's actually about one, almost one and a half pounds on average. Uh, that retails for $30. So, um, it's, yeah, it's, well, it's, uh, well, not cheap. That's the idea. We wanted to make something that was, uh, we didn't want to do a really high luxury, uh, um, really too pricey. Um, but we definitely didn't want to position this as a lower medium kind right. of, uh, Well, as we long as that's this. clear, let yeah. me say that I thought it was a, a, an extraordinary treat and, and loved yeah. every, every mouthful of it. And uh, I hope that uh, you do well with it and also that you. you continue to update us on, on what you're making next, because it all sounds I'm, good. <laughs> I will, yeah. We'll be inside, and I'm so glad that you enjoyed the professor. Darius Parsi. Again, it's Pajama Suites. Uh, listeners, check out the website, and it, it, you won't regret it. It's a beautiful, a delicious product. Um, Darius, thank you so much. Well, thank you. I, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Peter.
Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Well, you know, some people don't like to go out on, for dinner on Valentine's Day. In fact, we view it as, we meaning people in the industry, um, view it as amateur night and prefer to stay at home. So if you're in that category, we have a book for you to give your meal a, a fine wrap-up. It's Rosemary Malloy. Um, who I know it doesn't sound very Italian, but she's lived in... No, she's actually from Canada. She, yeah, but she's lived and cooked in Italy for 25 years. Sure, sure. And her book uh, will have you rush into the oven and to the freezer and all kinds of other places. It's called Authentic Italian Desserts. And you'll, you'll learn that Italians like the sweet stuff as well as they like the Sunday gravy or the now, red sauce. Now, do, do they do... it? Valentine's Day much in Italy? I don't know. I'm sure they do. It's, sure. it's universal now. Yeah. It's even like Halloween right? okay. anymore. I guess I guess the retail industry has gotten a hold of it, right? Sure. <laughs> the, 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 the amazing thing is to understand that Halloween is now celebrated in in my country instead of Guy Fawkes now. That's true. Yes. So it's it's kind of scary to think of that. I wish that phone would stop ringing. But anyway, here's Rosemary Malloy. An authentic Italian desserts. Well, Peter got very excited when he received this book, Rosemary Molloy, Authentic Italian Desserts. That got him exactly where his soft sweet part was. <laughs> you, mean, you mean a little dolce between friends? Right? A little dolce between friends. Yeah, and uh, these are 75 traditional favorites, made easy. So you've modified the recipes to make them simpler for the home cook. Well, uh, Italian cooking really isn't too, too, too difficult, and desserts certainly aren't either. So really, I, I made them how most Italian cooks make them, because Italians don't usually follow a recipe. It's all in their head. Yeah. So <laughs> my grandmother thought it has to be kind of easy in order to in my, remember every in- ingredient. My, my grandmother thought I was a little retarded because I kept asking <laughs> her questions about measurements with yeah. <laughs> the recipes. It's true; they never measure. No. Yeah. But you did it. You did it all for the home cook, right? <laughs> right. I had to measure and watch everything. my mother-in-law. Yeah, I was always taking notes, so I have a big book at home with lots of notes in it mm. and her recipes. Now, now, when my sister married Mr. Benson mm-hmm. 100, 150,000 years ago, <laughs> bef- bef- before they could be engaged, my sister had to pass the test. <laughs> could, could, could she cook Mrs. Benson's recipes? Oh. Now, you, you think I'm joking? No, eh? I know. And I bet you're not. I'm not Mrs. Benson. I think it's true. Did, 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 did you get the same test? No. No, Not really. Okay. My, I had my mother-in-law was a really sweet woman, so she just liked the the fact that I was interested in what she was making and yeah. Well, you know, I some, and did, and did my, you make did you make it together? I mean, are these recipes need four hands, or do they only need two? Oh, just mine. She's not well anymore, so oh, that's too yeah. bad. Well, my mother gave me um, a a set of those those metal 
what do you call them? Cannoli uh, rolls. You, you roll cannolis around them. Oh, right. Okay. So I never made cannolis, but they were really good holding up a steamer if you were yeah. steaming vegetables. <laughs> But uh, cannoli is one of my most favorite things. Yes, I didn't likes those. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize, actually, that, that you had to let it all rest the way you said it did. So yeah. it becomes a two-day job. Yeah. Well, you, you, I don't know how you selected your recipes, probably because they're favored. Uh, yes, probably. Um, I think I, I probably selected the ones that were most loved by my family and friends. Uh-huh. And the ones that are most um, that I would see more often in in the bakeries in Italy and what everybody baked most often. You know, I mean, the, you don't have a uh, cassata recipe in here, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and you don't have a cucinata recipe, <laughs> which my family used to make, oh. and it took a minimum of two days. Oh, wow. And with a production line. Oh, yeah, you have to. Uh, I, I had a, a local chef all set up. To, we were going to do a whole um, Kuchidata making party oh, okay. until he had a local television uh, right. show. Fun. Uh, yeah, well, it, it, when I got the. I have like six, seven different recipes, and of course, they're all different, and they're all, you know, I, I told him I thought that Aunt Clara's was probably the best, mm-hmm. but um, there were no measurements, you know, it calls for, right. uh, uh, of all things, a, a jar of grape jelly. <laughs> without, without specifying which jar, which no, size. So, but anyhow, but then he realized that it took two days because you had to make one thing and let it set. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and it became just too big a production. Yeah. I remember it used to take us a lot. But you remember the re- the recipe made like quantity three dozen? Twelve. I, th- I thought you made a lot more, you made a lot more than that. Twelve dozen? Wow. Oh, twelve, twelve dozen, okay. Yeah, it was twelve dozen and we tried cutting it and it never worked when you cut it back. <laughs> and, uh, and there was, and you had one, your mother had one friend, Cornelius. Yeah. And Cornelius always got a dozen. Yeah. And, and he would eat them right away and, and, then, wow. spend, and then spend the next week in the bathroom. <laughs> it was a fig cookie. You know, yeah, there. Exactly. yeah. So, anyhow, um, the, these are tried and true because they don't seem very complicated, the recipes you have in here. No, 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 they're not really. There's a couple in there that might be a little bit more complicated, maybe the yeast breads, but no. Yeah, I think our son and his family would go nuts over this crostata alla crema di cioccolata alla nocciola and ricotta. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of like it's sort of like a um, Nutella pie, right? Right. <laughs> With uh, ricotta cheese. Yeah. Did, did you did you read somewhere by the way that the people who make Nutella are suing? Suing the, the they're, su- they're suing somebody for making a similar product. Oh, right. really? Yeah. 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 Oh, no, Ima- yeah. imagine that. Well, the the thing is, you know, there's one pro- one ingredient in Nutella that they found was a potentially hazardous to your health. Right. And uh, they they won't make it without that product. I think they had to, don't they? I don't know. I don't know. I think in, it, in Italy you can get away with a lot more things than you can in the United States. <laughs> I think maybe they might be doing something um, about that, trying maybe trying to make it healthier. I don't know. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. One one of the things I that I noticed noted was missing, although you couldn't really call it a conventional dessert, is those wonderful marzipan things that look like the fruits oh, that they yeah. are. Oh yeah, uh, that's a whole other. What, thing. what are they what are they called? Marzipan. I think yeah, that's what they're called. Again, there, there was there was one we saw of the of the nespora. Oh, the nespora. <laughs> and, and the ones of the nespora, they have the little black spots on them. <laughs> The, the ones you, the ones you see in the Dolce shop. Right. I've never figured out what those things are. The Nespora. I mean, they my the Nespora, Italian that's dictionary that's said that's it's uh, some kind of tree. I can't remember what kind of tree it's from. Oh. But it's not a tree that you know, I. You, you know the one we're talking about, though, right? The, yeah, I do. I I think it's something that um, I don't think my my husband's too crazy about those, so I've probably never decided that I was going to try making them. Oh. And, and the um, so tell us like what what's your your tried and true? I mean, you probably make a killer tiramisu, right? That's a, yeah, tiramisu is always one of the, uh, a big favorite, and you can do so much with it too. You yeah, yours is your, your, a, um, yours is quite different, right? It's a cake, a sponge cake, or you can use uh, ladyfinger cookies. But you make your own um, the uh, the. Things that, that are sometimes lady fingers. Right, yes. And they're good, too. So you can even have those for breakfast with your coffee or your tea. Now, I laughed, uh, really laughed, when you talked about how hard it was for you to get used to dunking all this stuff. Uh, yeah, he still does that. Now I'm used to it. But at first. This is, this is your husband? Yes, he he's dunks a, everything in his coffee. He's a dunker, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're not dunking in coffee, you're dunking it in tea, or you're dunking it in wine. I mean, See, the, the yeah. Italians are big dunkers. See, the funny, yeah, the funniest, they are. The funniest thing, you, you, you remember my first morning in Rome? Oh, that was, and you, and you were that still, was Venice. No, was it was it? Rome. Was no, it Rome? And you were still asleep and I went out to, to buy coffee. <laughs> uh-huh. Because I, I had noticed an advertisement in the, in the elevator, mm-hmm. in, in the, what was then the Grand Hotel. It's now, it's now, a Ritz Carlton or something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, I think it was, it said continental breakfast was 30,000 lira a piece. <laughs> oh. So I said, well, all, all, I, old all I want lira. is coffee, so I'll save some money. I'll go out and buy some coffee. Uh-huh. So I got to the hotel and I went out into the street and I looked across the street. There was a coffee bar there. Uh-huh. So I thought, I'm in great shape. I'll just watch what people do. Because he didn't speak I, I any Italian. Yeah, I, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't understand. <laughs> I couldn't understand what it was people were eating and drinking. I couldn't figure out how they're ordering it, and I couldn't figure out how they were paying for it. Oh. It never occurred to him that the yeah. Italians don't do take our coffee. But, uh, but, no, no, they don't. But, uh, but I didn't see them dunking very much either. No, there was no. It's th- usually in the morning a cappuccino and um, yeah. croissant. Yeah. Well, well, this was on the way to work, I guess. So they, yeah, there was they were they were they were eating and smoking. Yeah, that sounds like Italian. That was it. Yeah. Go ahead, Lou. Some of these cakes sound really intriguing, like your plum cake with honey and vanilla. Oh, well, plum cake is considered like a sweet loaf Uh in Italy. So um, that was hard to get used to, too. (laughs) I always thought a plum cake was made with plums. Until yeah. I was served one, and then realized, no, no plums in this. Uh-huh. What, what was in it then? If there's no plums, anything they can. Sometimes they use um, mm. lemon. Lemon is a cit- citrus is really big in Italy. Yes, yeah, Italians yeah. love their citrus, and or chocolate, or 
you know, just our usual sweetbreads, but they call them cl- plum cakes. Oh, okay, all right, got it. Yeah. Tell us about the uh, ciambelle. Oh, those are delicious. I don't think, um, I think one of my favorite, uh, do you mean the donuts? Yeah. Yeah, the, our Italian donuts. Yeah. Italian donuts. I'm looking at them, they're sugar donuts. Yeah, lots of sugar. Uh, When they're still warm, Uh they roll them in sugar. But you were telling me something about Krispy Kreme is going into a European country somewhere? Yes, Anne was telling me this the other day. What's it? Where's it going? In Italy, it's going someplace. I don't know. I don't know. Why? Why you would want to eat a Krispy Kreme donut in the first place? I have no idea. No, I don't like those either. You know, like I've never had one. People say they're not bad. I've never had one. (laughs) They're not good either. (laughs) Well, so but you also have some special sections of this book, um, right? Including like. Tell us about the seasonal ones. Um, the seasonal ones are um, the. I did the toroni. Have you ever had toroni? Oh, at sure. Christmas time. Yes, yes, yes. Delicious. And one of our favorites that everybody in the house loves are the homemade Ferrero Rocher. Yeah, that's odd, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I know it's so popular. Good. Yeah, popular. very popular. And then the cream puffs at um, uh, for Saint for. Father's Saint Day, Joseph. because Saint Father's Joseph. Day is in March in Italy, and it's celebrated as St. Joseph. Right, St. Joseph's okay, Day. Okay, got it. We have someone local that does that. And they, they, and they celebrate that. with um, cream puffs. Now they, there's a restaurant in, in the suburbs of uh, Pittsburgh that uh, has a big celebration. They come from all over the place. Um, to, to, and they make, you know... Hundreds of these things. Oh, yeah, and it's a big celebration. Oh, so. anyhow, tell us about the regional differences of sweets. Um, well, I find um, they're probably lighter in the north and maybe heavier in the in the south. I think there's more creams in the south because there's, of course, cannoli. Sicily. Yeah, that's my background. It's Sicilian. Oh, it, yeah. It's all and heavy. fried and full of cream. Oh, it's heavy stuff. Heavy duty sweets. Yeah. <laughs> and then Toscana has the lighter, um, the pies, the torta de nonna. And, yeah, um, I love the torta de nonna, yeah. actually. Yeah. That's so, my daughter's favorite, actually. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well... Uh, how many people do you think are going to make, start making these desserts? I guess there's a resurgence of interest in baking, isn't there? Yeah, I hope there's something for everyone. Right. And um, if you've never tried Italian desserts, I hope people give it a try because they're lighter and just as tasty as North American. Right. And I think the biggest revelation I ever had was a book we got on Japanese desserts. Oh, that would be interesting. It is interesting. I never thought they had any. Yeah. <laughs> they true. do. They do. What you don't know. Right. Well, Rosemary Malloy, I wish you a great deal of success with this book. Thank are you, you. Are you touring or are you? Um, no, nothing in plans right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm promoting it as much as I can. Well, right. good. Well, I hope we can help. Thank well, you. Thank gi- you so much. And give our love to the city of Roma next time you get back there. 
I will. I'm going back next week, actually, so I will. Great. Well, you'll have a wonderful time when you get back, I'm sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Rosemary. Thank you. Okay, listeners, so there you have it. Bubbles and sweets for the 14th of February, the Feast of St. Valentine. We hope you'll have a wonderful time. We, cer- we certainly will ourselves, I know, because we're fueled already. Yes. <laughs> but, but there's, pl- there's plenty of time for you to get out there and get whatever whatever pink and bubbly you think fits your mood. And we, we, we know you'll enjoy. And uh, you'll join us again, same time, same place, next week. And again, don't forget, February 14th is the day we've been talking about, so don't miss that either. And there we go. What do we say until bye next bye. time? Bye-bye.